Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome into a very late night recording session of the Lions 24-7 podcast. Perhaps you're still up into the wee hours of the morning with us, or maybe you're catching up on this a little bit later on Sunday or even into Monday, but we have plenty to talk about about Penn State versus Ohio State. Not much of it in the positive fashion. A lot of negative things to point out here. Penn State is 0-2 for the first time under James Franklin for the first time in general since 2012. Uh, the juxtaposition of quarterback play, particularly in the first half with Sean Clifford versus the entire body of work for Justin Fields and the Ohio State Buckeyes was pretty glaring. The Buckeyes are 2-0. and They roll on with college football playoff aspirations. Penn State just trying to right the ship with Maryland coming to town next week. But Sean, a lot of circumstances in play here for 2020. And I'll tell you what, coming out of the press box, I just got home. It's 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 2.30, but now it's one thirty because of the clock change. A lot of circumstances are different here in 2020, and but we're in November, and Penn State still doesn't have a win in 2020. I didn't think that would ever happen. Even when we got this late schedule, thought they'd find a way to get a win at, at Indiana. Um, but 0-2 doesn't feel good, and when you watch the way it happened, it probably feels a little bit worse. And and losing to Ohio State by 13 is kind of the expected result. I think it's in between where our predictions were going into the game, but you know it's a rough road to get there. And just the, I just seeing those teams side by side, you see how far Penn State is away from what they're trying to do, and you know you just uh, you have to tip your hat to Ohio State because they're phenomenal in in several aspects. Um, you know, from the start, Penn State was on their heels. I mean, Ohio State came out; they ran the uh, the sort of speed sweep reverse and 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 got into the open, and you know just picked up a chunk, and then all of a sudden it was just sort of reeling, just. Um, it was it, it was tough to try to get a grasp on the game uh, from from our standpoint, and it, obviously it was tough to get a grasp on the game from from a calling a defense standpoint for Brent Pry because I mean it was just kind of you know, just kind of staggering from there on out. So uh, it seemed like Ohio State for the most part was was very comfortable. I, I would venture to say that they really toyed with Penn State for you know much of the sixty minutes on Saturday night and and. Really, it was just uh, had an answer for everything. Thirty-eight to twenty-five was the final score with Ohio State coming out on top. It didn't feel that close, and thirteen points isn't all that close, particularly in a series that has been determined by one point uh, or one possession over the course of these recent years. But thirteen points—I don't think that quite tells a story. Ohio State missed a couple short field goals. Um, felt like forties were, were going to happen for them, and, and oh, Penn State was gifted essentially three points with that Jordan Stout fifty-yard field goal. As time expired in the first half, a bizarre circumstance where they brought teams back in from the locker room. Before we move on, Sean, I just want to kind of set the stage here because I, I was thinking about this on my ride home again, very late at night, trying to absorb what we've seen here and where these two programs are right now. 2018, sitting in that press box, but surrounded by 110,000 people instead of what we saw tonight, a hollow Beaver Stadium. Eight minutes left in that matchup. Penn State's up 26 to 14. And at that point, they were 22 and three going back to the 2016 win over Ohio State. 
They end up blowing that lead. They end up losing that game. They are 16-8 and since then. They've had those two bowl games, a loss to Kentucky, a win against Memphis that didn't move the needle much in terms of what uh, postseason opportunities and the kind of matchup you could face. And I'm just kind of left with, with those two numbers, 22-3 and between that 2016 and 2018 span for Penn State, 16-8 and between the 2018 span and the 2020 span. Of course, they had a great start last year, 8-0. But that is that that's that's a that's not where you want to be. And Ohio State hasn't wavered in any way. And, and I think in a lot of ways you can say they've strengthened themselves. Well, you you just see how big that gap is, and you know that gap is there not only between Ohio State and Penn State, but Ohio State and the rest of the Big Ten. I mean, uh, just looking nationally, and I know Clemson was challenged today. Of course, they didn't have Trevor Lawrence, but you see Alabama, you see Ohio State, you see Clemson, and and everybody else this year, and and it's just kind of it it doesn't even seem close to be honest with you. I mean, you can speculate on the fourth team if it's a BYU or if it's somebody else in the, in the uh, you know in the Power Five, but it's been really really evident that those teams um you know when you when you take in i guess when you put in the the off season that we've seen and when you put in what they've been able to you know i i guess what every what every school is dealing with those school those programs with the top talent just doing what they do and and yeah i mean this uh it, it's disheartening to see you know, a, a team and, you know, you, you take Michael Parsons out, you take Journey Brown out, Noah Kane, all that stuff. And you just kind of set that to the side, but you see it every aspect, just Ohio State's so much better than Penn State. And it's, and it's really, really, you know, tough when you talk about the, the progress that you think you're making as a program, and then all of a sudden you see uh, the goal, you see if, is, if, is it attainable, you know, then that's, that's tough to stomach. And if you if you go to Indiana and you survive that game, or you go to Indiana and you play well and you win convincingly, and then this happens, it's easier to stomach. But zero and two, this is the result. And by the way, you talk about the Power Five landscape and the separation of those teams. How about the Big Ten landscape here, just locally? We'll see what Wisconsin looks like moving forward. They're sidelined right now with the COVID outbreak, and they looked really strong in the opening game. But we, I don't think Illinois is a very good program. But Michigan lost to Michigan State, who lost to Rutgers. Minnesota has fallen back to earth with a tremendous thud. I don't know who's good in, in the Big Ten right now, and, and, and Penn State is not where they have been, it would appear. And I, you know, Right now, I, I think a big issue for them in this game, we were looking for signs of progress, and James Franklin was looking for an opportunity on both sides of the ball in the trenches, and that was really underwhelming today. I thought Penn State was bullied for the most part on both sides of the ball. Uh, running game was never developed. Uh, Devin Ford flashed a bit in that first quarter. I think one of his first carries uh, showed a little bit of wiggle, a uh, 20-yard burst, but that that was really it. We didn't see anything of Kevon Lee and Keziah Holmes, two guys that I spent time writing about this week and asking about. Uh, that was a total no-show. Uh, didn't get a chance to see them involved. Sean Clifford w- was asked to run quite a bit again. He was not well protected. Um, when I asked about Sean Clifford specifically, and, and has he made any progress here in, in 2020, and, and has it anything apparent in that regard, uh, James Franklin very quickly said, uh, well, he's, he's he's a tough guy because he had to be because he didn't have room today and he was hit. Um, but uh, tell you what, Sean, whether it was a defensive line, not being able to generate anything on Justin Fields, he's a scary thing. Ohio State looked really good today, uh, really good today. Justin Fields looked awesome today, four touchdowns. I think he had, what, five incompletions, maybe six incompletions on the entire season at this point. He has 4-4 speed, and he's a tremendous dual-threat quarterback, a tremendous rushing threat. He didn't need to do that once, didn't need to use his legs once, and this was still the result. 
Yeah, it's a, it's a bad, ex- you know, a, a stretch of an example here. But, you know, you look at uh, Bo Provula, the Penn State's uh, commit in the 2022 class. I mean, he didn't run all this year either. And then all of a sudden he got out in a, in a playoff game this weekend against Central Dolphin and they sort of turned him loose. And I feel like that's really what you could do um, with Justin Fields when he was playing, you know, when Provula was playing that regular season schedule in York County. You didn't have to do anything like that, but you can open that up. And that's sort of what Ohio State's to me is what they're trying to do, protect him, get him back there, have him sit back and pick you apart. And then if, you know, he goes to play Clemson in the playoff, you turn him loose and you maybe let him run a little bit. So, um, and I think that's probably, you know, I I don't want to say it's a slap in the face if you're Penn State, but it seems like Ohio State doesn't put you on that level where they think that they have to maximize uh, their attack ability. And uh, I think that's, uh, that's probably tough. I mean, when you're staring the goal in the face and the goal is so much further along than you and further ahead than where you want to be. It's, it's tough to stomach. And, and to me, I'm looking at this entire thing and, you know, of course, looking for positives as we always do, but also looking for, for how you fix it. And, you know, I just, I, I got to resist the urge to say, well, they didn't quit. And, and, and when you talk about what this program is trying to do, not to catch Ohio State or but to be close to Ohio State in the same stratosphere as Ohio State you you don't grade on that curve we're t- we're talking about uh you know having Clifford uh you know is Clifford a quarterback that can get you to the playoff we're not talking about you know can he complete 60% of his passes we're not talking about can he win you uh seven i guess this year would be seven games or whatever we're talking about can he get you to the playoff i mean we're we're not going to look for um, sort of silver linings where this team didn't quit because that's not what matters right now in the in this big business of college football. It's can this team get you to the playoff and 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 really that's why I think this this loss is so uh, you know just it's just a dose of rejection because thirteen points and by the way I, my math is all messed up we're very late on Saturday and I think I said fifteen in the opening um, but thirteen points two touchdowns two. Um, one of the best teams in the country. That's one thing, and that's you know kind of expected. But the other, the other, uh, I guess on the other hand, you kind of got not really boat race, but you kind of were put in your place. Yeah, it, it was it was just you know look, it, it, this is probably the best way to sum it up. You had Micah Parsons live tweeting about Justin Fields being the best quarterback in the country, and he's probably the one guy who was capable of maybe doing something about that in a notable way. Now we saw some positive flashes in different phases and we got to get to Jahan Dotson in a moment Sean but um, I, I'm, I'm trying to look at the rundown you put together for this podcast because of course I just derailed it off the top by, by just going big picture on us um, James Franklin said uh, you know the, the defense did some good things early the offense couldn't get it going and then he said the offense got it going and the defense couldn't come up with the kind of stop that would be able to string together that momentum they had that opportunity there uh, with with a field goal at, at to close the half, it was a, a total gift for Jordan Stout to even get an opportunity there. And then he come out, and all of a sudden, Sean Clifford connects on his first five passes on the first possession of the second half. Two of those to Jahan Dotson, one of those a touchdown, set the stage for a huge second half. Jahan Dotson, three touchdowns in the second half alone. Um, but then the defense just couldn't come up with an answer, and, and at the end of the day, uh, it was Justin Fields just making it look easy on these third downs repeatedly. And, and on the final touchdown drive that, that Ohio State put together that, that really just uh, iced this game, essentially, two fourth down conversions, including a fourth and one um, where, you know, he kind of maybe this is the time he's going to move his legs. And no, nope, he's going to throw the ball 
another touchdown to Jeremy Ruckert. And the first touchdown to Jeremy Ruckert uh, back in the second quarter was asked about to James Franklin. Uh, there was a personnel issue. They were coming off of a timeout, and yet you look scrambled, and Ruckert's wide open there for, for, for a, a touchdown. And, and it just looked way too easy for Justin Fields all night long. And for John, for, for Sean Clifford, it just nothing looked easy. Everything everything looked like it was difficult, and and at the and you're just wondering where is the the offensive plan here that's gonna make things a bit smoother, make things make things just you know look more precise because this is game two, and, and we have just not seen that strung together uh, over the course of the year. Jahan Dotson made some amazing amazing plays, but there was no offensive rhythm. And, and really, outside of a couple of these big plays we've seen, Jahan Dotson with a one-handed grab today, uh, Sean Clifford with a, with a bomb to Dotson last week, and, and, and a long run against Indiana, it, it's, it's just... It, it, meanwhile, what, Ohio State had three, I think, three drives that, that went double-digit plays, I believe. I may, be, I may be getting ahead of myself on that, but they were able to just extend drives. And, and, and again, Fields not taking hits, and, and, and it just seemed like it was coming so smoothly. And it almost, because Fields was so magnificent through the air, they gave up 200 rushing yards too, and Fields had nothing to do with that. Just no continuity on either side. If you got, you know, if you did get a stop on offense, or excuse me, on defense, your offense came out usually stalled. I mean, you, we talk about that drive uh, to to open the second half, and that's great. I mean, they they look fantastic on that drive, doing out, uh, doing doing some things that we I think we said during the week they got to do some of that quick stuff, get the ball out of Clifford's hand, and go down, score the touchdown, make it, you know, cut it to a one score game, and then all of a sudden you turn around defense defensively and you know give up give up a score. So, I mean, it's just there, it was, it was tough to watch because there was really very little complimentary football going on, um, on this side of the roster. And then, you know, basically when you turn it around, uh, that's very, uh, it, it makes sense when you look at this, at the stats, it's very tough to do that when Ohio state goes 10 of 18 on third downs, um, and two of three on fourth downs and Penn state's three of nine on third downs. I mean, you've got, I mean, that's just, I, you, you, that, I mean, if there's one stat that just kind of throws it out there, that's that's the way it goes. So um, tough to watch from that aspect. I think, you know, it, it just kind of sums up where Penn State uh, was on Saturday night. If you look at the trenches on both uh, both ways, they just got killed. I mean, uh, defensively, just not the pass rush that we thought they could muster. We we talk about, um, you know, you don't always have to get sacks to, get to, to, to make your pass rush work. Well, they didn't get close to sacks and they did not get the pressure that they needed to. Um, on top of that, uh, you know, you, you, you can deal with – with uh with Justin Fields throwing for 318 yards and four touchdowns if you you know sort of seal up the run and do something like that but when you add 200 plus yards t- uh, on the ground and uh, ahead of that that's uh that's that's something you can't deal with offensively um you know I watched uh, I watched that Indiana tape and you know the offensive line I thought was better than expected and I thought the defensive line ended up being as better as expected I don't expect that this week when I take another look at it that was not I mean, there's. I understand you can't take away everything on the first viewing, but I mean, Clifford was uh, was running for his life, and and we've mentioned time to time, time and time again, his internal clock seems to be going off pretty pretty early. But still, I mean, tonight he had uh, he had reason to run 
quite a few times. So uh, just battled up front uh, or just battered up front on both sides. Um, and this was not a particularly experienced front four and front seven for Ohio State. Their offensive line is very good, no doubt about it. But uh, when you get beat up front like that, you just you don't have a chance against one of the top teams in the, in the country. Clifford, um, again, very, very active on, on the ground tonight. And Franklin said they felt like going into this contest that that, that was an exploitable thing perhaps against Ohio State. We actually heard that from Buckeyes beat reporter Patrick Murphy on on the pregame podcast. Uh, maybe that's something that, that you can get Ohio State with. That was not the case tonight. Uh, sacks count into this, but Clifford had five rushing yards on 18 attempts. Um, there was a noticeable difference in the ability of, of Ohio State's front four to reach the perimeter and cut off those outside rushing lanes that maybe he was able to get to against Indiana. It wasn't happening against this team. They recruit at a high level. They develop at a high level. And it was not going to, to, to get done. I mean, Clifford, you look at the final stats tonight, 18 of 30 passing, 281 yards, three touchdowns, interception. Doesn't look so bad. But then you remember what you just saw Justin Fields do across the field for a team that really legitimately looks like they're going to pursue a second consecutive college football playoff with that particular quarterback. And you remember that Sean Clifford had two total completions in the first half of a game that we said Penn State needed to be essentially perfect to try to pull off a win. And it all adds up to an equation where the scrutiny is going to intensify on number 14 and it's justified. And I still keep coming back to there's no one in the bullpen warming up that I feel like gives them a better chance right now. I agree. I agree. And it's it's been tough to watch, uh, you know, through the first couple of weeks because Clifford has made some good throws and he's made some big plays with his feet and he's done all these things that are commendable, no doubt. But like we said, we we grade on that curve where, you know, you've got to be great to elite. You got to be that playoff caliber. And, you know, when you make those mistakes and granted, he only turned the ball over once tonight and it essentially ended the game. But, um, you know, just, uh, you know, you're, you're erratic, you're throwing it around, you're taking sacks, you're, you know, just kind of pulling it down and not giving yourself a chance. I mean, I, if, if nothing sums up the game, it's, uh, you know, the, the play in the first half where he locked on Frymuth and that's been something that he's obviously struggled with um, and hasn't really taken that next step that we thought he could uh, in the off season, but he's locked onto Fryermuth and and Kirk Herbstreet's there talking about how nobody's open and they're showing Parker Washington wide open across the middle with Daniel George, you know, levels on top of him open as well. And it's just uh, it's crazy to look at and see that happen. And for Penn State's offense to take the next step or whatever the next step may be, you know, he's got to be better and deliver those great plays, but also at the same time avoid those pitfalls and those low lows. And that's been, and I think that's been the hardest thing to swallow if you're a Penn State fan is like, you know, you see some, some elements of greatness and then, you know, just uh, elements of the complete opposite and the, uh, you know, from, from the quarterback play. And I think that's, uh, I don't know that that's going to be fixed anytime soon. Now, I mean, on the bright side, and this is for every level of offense and defense, you're not going to see Ohio State again. You're not going to see a team close to the level of Ohio State again. And, you know, it's it that's when that's what we talked about when we're judging on this this early season curve and Indiana's no slouch and Ohio State obviously is the class of the Big Ten. Um, you know, things will get easier. So that's I guess a silver lining. So uh I, I don't know, man. It's uh it just a brutal, brutal uh, when you when you watch these teams, it, it was just not close to 
I don't want to say an even playing field, but it's very late and my vocabulary uh, retrieval is not all that great. But it was just two le- two different levels out here. And Ohio State was was obviously from the jump uh, on a different one. I had to yank Sean out of bed for this one. So <laughs> uh, yeah, we're, we're both we're both running on fumes of sorts here. And, and uh, but so is Penn State. And, and and that's surprising to see because I'm telling you the confidence level that this staff and this this group of players exuded over the course of, of October in these conversations and, and just feeling like they were so up to par and, and also feeling like maybe they were ahead of the curve because of the preparation they had and, and all the Zoom meetings they had and that for that just to not be visible on the football field and I think it's a very important thing because uh, to note this it's unrealistic for me to hear anyone saying that Sean Clifford is holding this team back from being a playoff contender this year because if we're having the great to elite conversation, there's a lot of spots to look at on the field right now. The safety group, I don't think has taken the step forward. We thought they might. The linebackers have a lot of work to do. We talked about what happened in the trenches today. You're down Noah Kane and Journey Brown. Devin Ford today got 23 carries on, on, on one touch. He got 13 on the rest of them. It didn't really get involved that, that much at all, to be honest with you. Um, I, I don't want to make it seem like this is a, a, a locomotive moving at full speed and you've got uh, Sean Clifford in the caboose. At times, Sean Clifford has bailed them out uh, uh, in, in certain spots. Now, the interception was awful that he threw after Brandon Smith came up with a big sack on on Justin Fields, a big moment for, for a young linebacker there. And that was one of the few stops they got where they actually had an opportunity to maybe get an answer, make this a one possession game late. And I believe it was what the very next, the, the very first play of that, of that drive Clifford gets rolled out to his right, uh, tries to find Fryermuth. There was several options for, for Clifford, whether it was running or get this, throwing the ball as far as he could into the sideline and, and, and trying to target one of his Penn state teammates on the sideline. That would have been a better outcome for Penn state. That wasn't the case. The Ohio state picks it off that, that, that ices the game. But I want to be careful here because I feel like it's easy to pile on the quarterback at any time. The coaching staff has a lot to answer for in this one as well. And and, and Kirk Shiraka, as a first-year offensive coordinator, we'd spent a lot of time this offseason discussing the advancements we'd see out of this offense. Um, the defense has been under the same leadership for, for several years now. It's the guys they've recruited. Um, and we're just not seeing the forward strides that maybe we anticipated um, because, again, it was like a ragdoll situation at times tonight with Ohio State versus Penn State, and that's not where this series was for a few years there, 16, 17, 18. Even last year, it's a four-point game in the fourth quarter, and, 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 and this time around it just felt like Ohio State was big brother, keeping Penn State at, arm, at arm's length the entire way. Um, and again, I didn't even feel like we saw the best of Ohio State because we didn't get to see Justin Fields moving around and we know how much damage he can do with his legs. It wasn't necessary tonight. And, and, and why do it? He still got to put up the Heisman, build his Heisman case without doing that. And he gets to, to preserve some health and, and move forward. And meanwhile, you have a lot of questions about Penn State. And, and that starts at the very top with James Franklin. It, it extends to what they're doing right now on the recruiting trail, 2022 class aside. Um, and again, it's just it feels like the trajectory has really shifted in this series, which you did not think that would be the case when Urban Meyer hits the exit door and the way Penn State recruited in the 18 and 19 classes that it would be right here right now, uh, you know, in the last day of October of, of 2020. 
and what your game breakers do for you. And, you know, let's be honest, you know, there's, there's a lot more on that other sideline than there was on the, on the Penn state sideline, but you lose Micah, you lose journey. Not only do those guys make your big plays and your home run threats, et cetera, but they also can mask a lot of deficiencies. And we saw that with, you know, like Saquon Barkley when he was here. And, you know, there's, there's a lot, when you take away your top guys, it doesn't just affect the guys that are taking his place, but it, it affects, you know, a little bit, it's, it's kind of a trickle down thing. So when you take away those players, that's, uh, that gets, that gets tough. And I think, you know, you saw that very early when Penn State decided to go for it at the end of their first drive, um, you know, fourth and short, uh, obviously in their own territory. Uh, you get the sense that, you know, they, the Penn State thought, and by the way, the, the call on third down right before that, I'm, I'm not sure what the, uh, what the thought process is before that, but, um, it, you just get the feeling that they thought we can't play a field possession game with Ohio State, considering the number of uh, of ballers that they have, the number of game breakers that they have. So you know they they took their shot, and you know that's probably commendable. But the way that they got there and the way that they approached it is probably a different story. Um, but yeah, they just felt that they couldn't play that tug of war against a, a roster that obviously had them outclassed. So. Um, you know, it's just a, from an execution standpoint, Ohio State checked that box. From a coaching standpoint, Ohio State checked that box. Penn State left itself a lot to be desired. And and when you're either, you know, uh, I would say when you're either have the potential to be out coached by one of the top coaches in the in the the country, that's one thing, or one of the one of the top coaching staffs in the country, that's one thing. But when you are, are on the other side of that talent level gap. You have to have something in, in store for those. And and obviously tonight that was not the case. No. Uh, Ryan Day, one loss so far as the Ohio State coach. That was in the college football semifinal in a highly contentious matchup against the Clemson Tigers. It's just been remarkable to see how that transition has gone in Columbus over the last year and a half or so. We're going to continue our thoughts here. Uh, got a few more to offer up on, on what we saw play out Halloween evening in Beaver Stadium. Uh, stay with us here in the Lions 24-7 podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Continuing our conversation, Penn State falling to 0-2, first time since 2012 that has happened. One thing I wanted to jump in here while we're talking about some head scratchers from this evening, and, and certainly it was a clunker of a first half again offensively and uh, outside of that orchestrated first drive against Indiana, that has been a common theme so far. They were gifted half of those six points that they had in the first half tonight against Ohio State. They were totally derailed in Bloomington after that first drive. What do we make of Kirk Shiraka, the big fish that they brought in last December, and, and how that has gone through two games, Sean? 
Well, it's been like it's been like watching Clifford. I mean, you you see some elements of 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 really good stuff there, especially you know the first uh, drive in the game last week against Indiana, the first drive of the second half this week against Ohio State, and you know you see a lot of you know when they, when they're doing the things that he did at Minnesota, which is really one of the things that I the, the, you uh, center on in that first drive of the second half today. It looked pretty darn efficient, and you know they've got they got away from some of that stuff and. Um, you know, is some of it personnel is still some of it still that offensive line trying to come together? I I don't know. Um, but it it just looks a bit discombobulated. Um, I think that there might be a, a bigger issue at play here in terms, and I have this written down a little bit later because I see it on both sides of the ball. Um, just the the disorganization seems like this team, no matter what side of the ball is out there, it it, it almost seems like somebody. Or they're waiting for somebody to do their thinking for them, and that's that that's concerning. It seems like it's more of a disorganization thing than a you know than a play calling thing or a disorganization thing than a than a personnel uh, you know package type thing, and that I think is concerning when you when you move forward. And, I mean, you want these guys. I mean, you you watched Ohio State, and it really just a different level from from what you expect to see those players going out and taking upon themselves. And I think that that's, uh, you know, uh, without taking a look at what Kirk Shiraka did on, on tape a second or third time, um, I think that's the biggest takeaway that I have from that. It's just a no flow, um, tough to, I guess, cultivate energy or anything like that on the offensive side of the ball. And, you know, when they, when they do some of the basic elements of his offense, they did it pretty well. Some of those crossing routes, some of the throwing across the formation and things like that was fine. And on top of that, when you can't get a running game at all, I mean, you're, you're, you're not really giving yourself a chance against a team like Ohio state. So I think that's probably the biggest thing offensively, just from a first, uh, first reaction type standpoint, um, they need to get that running game going and that running game is going to set up the pass and it's not going to be vice versa, which is probably the direction that they had to go tonight. Running game has not set up much for this team so far like we thought it would and, and injuries are a factor there, but um, really saw them abandon ship with, with the rushing attack tonight. And and unless it was Sean Clifford moving forward and, and not with much success, which I know was frustrating for a lot of people out there, it felt like Every other play was Sean Clifford essentially being stopped in a scrum at the line of scrimmage, and, and then you're set up on a second and long or a third and long play. And the penalties were down tonight for Penn State. They had 10 in Indiana. They had five this evening. Ohio State actually had nine penalties themselves. Uh, Penn State only had that one turnover, the aforementioned interception thrown by Clifford in that fourth quarter, which is a really poor decision on his part. He has three interceptions this year. Um, the, switching over to defense, though, I mean, I mentioned this, and, and we talked about this quite a bit on the pregame show. Uh, that matchup in the slot versus, versus Garrett Wilson and Lamont Wade being the guy in that star role, and would we see him in the slot? We did. We did, and and Garrett Wilson had 11 catches for 111 yards, tossing his 62-yard run that, that opened this game with the bang for the Buckeyes. Um, I'm not sure what's going on with Keaton Ellis uh, not being involved. Um, we, we've heard that there was a ton of options at the star position, but it was Lamont Wade, and then it was uh, Jair Brown or Jonathan Sutherland back there at safety and Jaquan Brisker. Um, but it feels like a, an early theme this year, and, and I don't want this to seem disrespectful to Lamont Wade, but evaluating his play, those camera angles are often him trying to catch up from behind, and the guy has the ball in his hands, and he's moving in the wrong direction for the Penn State defense. And it's usually after a slip, too. That's what, that's what gets me, and it's consistent, so I don't know if it's a... 
uh, a mind working faster than the the feet or what the deal is, but usually there's a slip and then it's go. And in, and in Ohio State, I mean, let's be honest with you, you saw a couple of them. They audibled straight into that a couple of times, including that that one where he had the the bad pass interference right in the flat that you know would have been a third down, would have been a uh, would have been a punt. And Penn State gets the ball back, but yeah, I agree with you. It's it didn't work. Um, it, it was also disheartening to see Joey Porter get hurt, come off. Marquise Wilson goes in and they attack him right away. I mean, that's uh, you got to tip your hat to the offensive uh, play calling for Ohio State because they went right after the weak spots there or you know the reported weak spots and um, really just exploited the matchups very much for their game. They did a heck of a job. So I, I just think defensively as a whole, I mean, you look at that game and it's tough to look at anybody on the defense and say, hey, this this guy played a good game. Um, maybe Jesse Lucchetta, who missed the first half, obviously, for the targeting, but he had eight tackles in the, in the second half. So that was nice. Um, obviously, his his uh, presence was necessary. I think he was on another level. I know Ellis Brooks led Penn State in tackles, but I don't particularly think that you look at that game and say Ellis Brooks was was one of Penn State's top defenders. Um, they didn't force a turnover. Uh, Antonio Shelton had a, had a nice sack. We'll give him credit for that. But uh, yeah, just look at that defense and and more of the same and you know being picked apart, doing that whole thing, and it's just. Uh, it's tough to see. I mean, they, they, they made a few splashes here and there, but not nearly as consistent as they needed to be. As I mentioned, 10 of 18 on third down was, was Ohio State, and that's, uh, that, that's not going to get it done, man. I wrote early Saturday about the two former five-star linebacker recruits needing to step up in the spotlight or, or uh, needing to at least hold their own with Lance Dixon and Brandon Smith. It's a tall, tall task to ask uh, this early in their career against a, an offense like the Ohio State Buckeyes. I did think we we saw Brandon Smith take a step forward. I think this game will help his confidence. It will help him see the game maybe in a different light and, and slow things down for him. It wasn't a perfect performance, but he had a big play where, where he kind of bailed Penn State out on a screenplay that looked really well set up for, for Trey Sermon to maybe reach the end zone. Uh, Smith was able to uh, uh, you know, avoid a block and, and blow that up a little bit. And then he had that really, you know, the, the only time they really got a great lick. You know, Shelton had, Shelton had that sack, but this was one where they were able to kind of lay the lumber a little bit on Justin Fields and make him feel it, which is a rare occasion in this matchup. That was Brandon Smith. Um, but you're right. There was not that game changer. The, the guy that could be that for you was tweeting multiple times about how good Justin <laughs> Fields was on Saturday night. And then I know that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. And, um, and I get that too. And I, and I understand that, but, uh, you know, going through this box score, I, I talked about the big game for Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave. Yeah, he played and he scored two touchdowns and he's had 120 yards on Boy, seven catches. He is, he is phenomenal. I mean, he just, I, I know we've seen a lot of, of good receivers, not only in the big 10, but in bowl games and things like that. But I can't think of anybody that consistently can make the contested catch like Chris Olave. I mean, you look at that, that, I think it was the first touchdown. Uh, Joey Porter was, was all over him and made that, made a great, great catch, um, against great coverage. And it's just, that's the guy that, you know, and, and I know Penn State obviously had a good performance from their White House tonight. Um, but that's the guy that is the difference, you know, from that aspect. I mean, we talk about the quarterback and obviously there's a, there's a big difference there, but I think at receiver, Garrett Wilson and, and Olave just, uh, kind of showing you what that difference looks like. Couple times in the red zone looked like Jeremy Rucker essentially was a forgotten man for the Penn State defense. Two touchdowns for him, uh, and then Teague out of the backfield, twenty-three carries, one hundred and ten yards. Probably didn't even notice that he scored the first touchdown of the game, but he was kind of the the fourth or fifth guy we're even going to talk about on that Ohio State offense. And then, as I said, 
you know, Justin Fields uh, is 48 of 55 on the season passing the football. That's pretty good. I don't know the percentage off the top of my head. That's damn good. And he put the, I mean, you talked about Chris Olave making that catch. I mean, Justin Fields was putting the ball as if he was walking to the guy and, and just placing it where it needed to be above the defensive back shoulder, dropping it in that bucket. And and that's just tough to see on a night when Sean Clifford was far from perfect for much of it. But let's get to that bright spot. We, we talked about these big numbers for the Ohio State receivers. How about Jahan Dotson? I mean, consider me convinced. I have said multiple times in the podcast, you know, let's see what Jahan Dotson can do before everyone goes ahead and anoints him as the number one wide receiver that you can kind of set it and forget it with. I'm, I'm all in with Jahan Dotson after tonight. Eight catches, 144 yards, three touchdowns. I love how this kid handles himself. He is very even Steven uh, in terms of his attitude, and, and he's consistent, and the trust is clearly there. He had 12 targets this evening. Uh, and Parker Washington, by the way, had a nice game. Uh, the freshman, four catches, 73 yards. Let's not forget he had the overtime touchdown in Bloomington last Saturday. We saw Kandre Lambert get involved a bit with a couple catches. Um, one thing we did not see in the wide receiver group again was Cam Sullivan Brown warmed up with the team in full uniform game starts, not out there. He ended up on the hands team, I think late, uh, on an onside kick opportunity for Penn state. Uh, that, that was it. I mean, that, that was, that was puzzling. I asked Jahan Dotson about that after the game. He actually phrased it as Cam is battling something right now. I don't know what that means. James Franklin was very cryptic about it in his response on Wednesday. I'm not, I don't think it tips the scales one way or the other, but it's just a bizarre circumstance. I know people have questions about it. It wasn't COVID last week. As far as we can tell, it's not an injury. He was out there running routes before the game in full uniform. They thought they could use him on special teams late in the game. He has not run a single route for Penn State through two games. And this is the guy who was listed as the starter both weeks. Yeah, we're probably. I would say probably spending too much time on Cam Sullivan Brown just because you you look at what's happening actually at, at receiver and you see that youth movement. And we thought it would happen eventually. Well, it's not good for Cam. It's I mean, not this good is for year Cam. four. It's not, it's not good news for him. Right, right. Yeah. So I, you know, hopefully he works through whatever they said he needs to work through. But Daniel George started the game, and by the end of the game, that he was an afterthought as well. So um, you've got D- John Dotson, who you know you you can't say. Not. I mean, of of ever of all the guys of all the units or or whatever that didn't. Show Show up to to go tonight. Jahan Dotson was the complete opposite. He was he was fantastic, and he did it. By the way, he, it wasn't just garbage time. You know, he, he, you know, he had a couple of touchdowns in the second half, but it wasn't just garbage time. He did it against Sean Wade, who's one of the top corners in the country, and I mean, he made him look silly at times. So uh, you got to tip your hat. I mean, just in terms of of what. Penn State was able to get doing going tonight. If they didn't have Jahan Dotson, they would have been in in a lot worse of a situation. But you had Parker Washington, I think four catches for 74 yards or something in the neighborhood. Keandre Lambert Smith, they weren't afraid to go to him. Uh, you know, in, in clutch situations, he had just had two catches for 18 yards. Um, but when you got those three playing uh, the majority of your snaps, I think that's a positive thing, especially because they showed that they could belong. I think Parker Washington showed some nice things while he was out there in terms of um, kind of living up to the scouting report of what we saw. So you get those guys some targets. Pat Frymuth, obviously, Ohio State paid a ton of attention to Pat Frymuth. Um, so did Sean Clifford, um, and I think that's why he was probably two of seven in the opening uh, period. In the excuse me, in the opening half. 
Um, but once he started looking around to those wideouts, I think they did some really nice things. And I think you see um, some visual improvement. I know we're only two games in, but you're seeing visual improvement with what Taylor Stubblefield has been able to do because there's some nice technical things in there. Dotson goes up and makes, you know, we talk about the lack of game breakers and, and game changers on this on this team. If he it sure looked like one, didn't Yeah, he? if he can do things like that. <laughs> I mean, you're in a better spot at receiver than maybe you thought. A remarkable sequence there to, to, to give Penn State a pulse early in the fourth quarter. Two one-handed catches. I'm sure you've seen it. If you haven't, make sure you give it a, a look because it was a bright spot on a night where there, there were not many to find for Penn State. And by the way, um, we I mean we, we saw a couple two-point conversion failures. Sean Clifford gets stuffed on a run, not being able to find some someone on, on the next one, uh, trying to hit Pat Fryermuth. That didn't work out. Those were pretty ugly uh, attempts for two-point conversion. Uh, but Jahan Dotson was a bright spot, and I think we're not talking about drops for this wide receiver group either. So maybe, you know, maybe that's something that if you're looking for an ascending spot on the field for Penn State, when we have a lot of questions elsewhere, maybe the receiver spot is, is a good is a good one right now. Um, what have we not hit on that we need to hit on? We obviously have a full week ahead of us, Sean. It is very late into the evening, early into the morning at this point, uh, going into Sunday. Um, but it has been a rough October for Penn State. Uh, they're 0-2. It's been a roller coaster of a year. We weren't sure we'd see them play uh, this evening, uh, last night, whatever we're calling it at this point. Uh, being in Beaver Stadium without the fans and, and just kind of a smattering uh, of Penn State uh, family members. And by the way, right above the press box, you would have gotten a kick out of this. It was Ohio State families, it sounded like, and they were very vocal about every play uh, about on Ohio State's account, and we could hear it throughout the press box. Different circumstances tonight, just a bizarre situation where you're almost like, want to try again in 2021 and see what it looks like and if we can get back to normal. I know we're all grateful to have football. Maybe Nittany Lions fans a little bit less after these first couple weeks. Um, are there silver linings? I mean, what, what can Penn State salvage from the rest of the season? We've already talked about the recruiting class that's coming in this winter isn't really the home run hit. And meanwhile, Ohio State bringing in one of the best in the country. Can, can we give the people something to, 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 to chew on on a positive note uh, other than Jahan Dotson? Well, if you look small picture immediately, you've got a chance to, to rebound against Maryland and Nebraska. Obviously, uh, you know, the schedule – Always gets easier once Ohio State's in the rearview mirror. So you've got that. Um, you know, just uh, for this for the rest of the season, you got to figure out a way to 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 take some pressure off of Sean Clifford in the run game. Um, and I know I've been very critical of Sean Clifford. He needs to be better. Period. No 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 question about it. Um, just uh, he's a tough kid, but is he the guy? And and I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be a very uh, interesting balance. You know, if this if this uh, sort of trend continues the way that things have gone, where Penn State addresses that in terms of, you know, do they go out and look for another quarterback? And, you know, how does that in- impact the 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 rest of the roster, especially that quarterback room? And, and you know, sometimes you have to make those tough decisions. That's why you get paid so much uh, to, to, to be a head, head football coach. I think that that's a very interesting dynamic to see what type of um, – approach you get to maybe either get a quick fix or get uh, get something that's going to elevate the rest of this roster. And that's uh, I think that's a very big test for James Franklin because he isn't, hasn't done that. They haven't done the transfer route very much. Uh, they haven't really been one of those teams that you think of when you say, okay, there's a, there's a hot name in the transfer portal. You know, uh, does Penn State have room is usually the conversation that you have. And, you know, so far that that hasn't really been the case. I mean, of course, they've hit on Jordan Stout, but that's you know, really been pretty much it. So, um, it's, uh, I think it's very interesting when you take a look at, uh, 
where this program can go. I still think there's a lot of talent in the program. Um, I just don't think that they're ready to, to take that next step, especially without some of their top guys. And uh, yeah, it's going to be a very interesting next six weeks of the season because they've got to sort of get back in line and they got to figure out where they stand. And the, the Big Ten's a crazy place. We saw that today with Michigan State beating Michigan and some, some other things going on. But uh, yeah, it's going to be a very interesting last six weeks of the season. Maryland, Nebraska, Iowa, Michigan, Rutgers, Michigan State, and then the mystery box that is this new Big Ten Championship week in mid-December. That's what lies ahead for Penn State. And, of course, there's always a chance that something gets derailed off the field with, with the reality we're all set against in a global pandemic like we saw play out with Wisconsin and Nebraska. Um, but for now, um, you talked about looking for the next step and where's that going to be. We are two years removed from the great two elite mantra that came out uh, in post game after a very narrow loss to Ohio State. It doesn't feel like Penn State has taken the step in the right direction towards achieving those goals based on what we've seen over the last, uh, I don't know, six, seven games. Penn State is three and four in their last seven games going back to November. I know that's an unfair thing to kind of pair that group together and it's been such a bizarre 2020, but that's the reality that they were 8-0 last year. They were right there in the playoff race. Since that point, though, they are three and four. Yeah, and and once again, setting that curve, setting those expectations, they're that's probably going to be the closest game Ohio State plays all year, and that's uh, that's I think that says more about Ohio State than than what Penn State does because we saw that the same thing last year. Um, it's just uh, when when you see. Um, when you see the standard, when you see the blueprint out there and you see how far behind you are and you're not closing that gap because they're recruiting the lights out, that's uh, that's tough to stomach. So, I mean, it's going to be it's gonna be really interesting to see where this team sort of fits in the uh, the general vicinity of, uh, of the college football picture because, you know, it still could very well be the second best team or third best team in the Big Ten, even though they started out until it's just uh, that gap is so big and you play that team every year and it's going to, it's going to, uh, 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 I guess, affect expectations. It's going to affect uh, your ultimate uh, landing spot. They very well may be the second best team in the Big Ten, and you're right. This might be the, the, the toughest matchup at the end of the day that Ohio State sees, but we talk about the ACC. Do you remember who the second best team in the ACC was the last few years? Because I don't. And that's not where you want to be as a program if you're really trying to get themselves in that upper echelon. It feels like this is gravitating toward an ACC situation where it's Ohio State and everybody else. And today further confirms that as this was supposed to be Harbaugh's team at Michigan and he had his quarterback and thud a loss at home to Michigan State. Penn State not taking a step forward today. A lot to talk about as the season continues. The the, the, the verdict here is that Ohio State's a damn good team, and Penn State has, has kind of hit a, a bit of a crossroads as a program. And, and, and James Franklin, one thing that stood out, each of the last two press conferences, he said that's not something that we've done in the last six years. He seems to be scratching his head over a lot of what he has seen as well on the football field these last couple weeks. Maryland comes to town next Saturday, 3.30 kickoff. A couple more podcasts before then. Plenty of coverage coming your way up on Lions 24-7. The new AP Top 25 likely not to feature Penn State on Sunday. If that is the case, it snaps a 63-pole streak for the Nittany Lions, which ranks fourth in the nation as of this recording. Again, seriously in jeopardy. On behalf of Sean Fitz, who uh, thanks again for for kind of uh, coming back to life at, in the middle of the night to do this podcast. And uh, I'm Tyler Donahue. Appreciate everyone for listening through this one. It was not an easy one to discuss, not an easy one to listen to, but we're with you every step of the way here in the Lions 24-7 podcast.
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.